Let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 6 and take some time in God's Word. I'd like to uh, read the text for us today, pray, and then get to work. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11 is where we find ourselves today. Hi, Levi. You're listening to Mr. Juan, right? Feels like my son. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 through 11 reads this way. For if we have been united with him in in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to death once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, verse 11 says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word right now, we need your help. We can't figure this out because we've had good educations. We can't figure this out because we're really holy and special people. We desperately need your spirit to illuminate, to shine brightly through the scriptures so that we would know the truth and beauty of you, our God. So center us on that. I pray that for my sisters and brothers in all of the different various spaces and places that they've found themselves this week and even in their heart's disposition today. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would help us to listen, and we pray that it would be for our joy. In Jesus' name, everybody agreed and said, amen. In our passage today, Paul is going to teach us and give us some understanding about ourselves, but he's going to teach us about us in a way that I think is quite counterintuitive, in a way that we don't usually expect to learn about ourselves. He'll be addressing what we may call our personhood, might call our identity or our self-knowledge, and knowledge and knowledge of self in particular is at the very center of Western culture, the very center of Western philosophy. Whether we're aware of it or not, self-knowledge is one of our culture's favorite preoccupations. If you think about it, who we deem ourselves to be informs the clothes that we buy, the food that we eat, the church that we belong to, the pictures and words we share online, and ultimately, the stories we believe about ourselves and about the world and the things that we tell ourselves and others about who we are. See, we spend a lot of time discovering and then subsequently promoting or casting or broadcasting, telling our stories of ourselves to others. We do this as individuals. We do this even as a community, even as a church community. So I think it's incredibly important for us to consider as we think about these past three years as a church family to understand what stories are we telling ourselves about ourselves individually but even as a church family. So it's incredibly pertinent for us today. See, interestingly enough, earthly wisdom and modern thinkers are not agreed about the path to self-knowledge. Some think that philosopher Aristotle espoused the idea that knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. But I called my brother-in-law, who's a PhD in philosophy, and he said it probably wasn't Aristotle, even though he agrees to the idea. And so I just thought that was really helpful, and I passed that on to you. Author Sonia Parker encourages her readers, don't spend all of your time trying to find yourself. She says, spend your time creating yourself into a person that you'll be proud of. 
And then we come to the great musician Bob Marley, who simply reports that when you smoke the herb, it reveals you to yourself. There you have it. So through a vast array of perspectives and people, we agree that self-knowledge is central, but is who we are just about knowing? Is it about creating? Or is it something that is revealed to us? To put it another way, if knowing ourselves is the beginning of all wisdom, then it would be good for us to understand whether or not ourself is someone we create or someone who is merely revealed to us. Are you with me? Let's look at what Paul says. Look at verse 5 first. He says, For if we have been united with Christ, or with him, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So in order to teach us about ourselves, Paul first gives us what we'll just call a cosmic context where we find ourselves. He does so by summarizing what he has previously said in verses 1 through 4 with a doctrine known as union with Christ. You notice the language that he uses twice. United with him in death, united with him in resurrection. Paul is talking about union with Christ. And we know that he is making this connection because of that word for. So he's left a couple of clues for us in this verse about what he's going to be talking about. He's connecting to verses 1 through 4 with the word for, and he's going to talk to us about the doctrine of union with Christ. We see that in united with showing up twice. He's making this connection. Union with Christ is a primary theme within the Bible. In fact, it's so pervasive in the New Testament, we miss it all the time. It's so common and consistent that we miss it as just part of the landscape of the New Testament. But the expression in Christ shows up over 200 times in the writing of Paul. And it shows up 26 times in the writing of John. Theologian Albert Schweitzer believes that the foundational Paul's theological vision And his salvation has to do with union of Christ. He says this being in Christ is the prime enigma of the Pauline teaching. Once grasped, it gives the clue to the whole. In other words, our ability to understand most of the New Testament is centered on our understanding of union with Christ. So if we want to understand the New Testament, we need to understand union with Christ. And it is a description. Union with Christ is a description of our relationship with the Lord based upon salvation. It's about our relationship with him. See, when you become a Christian, the truest, most important thing about you and your nature and identity and personhood is this, that you are in Christ. That's the truest thing about you. That's the most important thing about you. What's this mean? Well, knowing self may be the beginning of practical wisdom, But knowing God is the beginning of knowing yourself. Knowing God is the beginning of knowing yourself. So if you want to know who you are, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, if you want to know who you are, you must look to God. You must know God. See, the Bible teaches us that knowing or fearing the Lord is the soil through which wisdom blossoms. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Knowing God is where true wisdom comes from, including, and here's what we don't like, knowledge of yourself. You cannot know yourself fully if you do not know God. 19th century author and pastor A.W. Tozer opens up his fantastic book. You got to read it. The Knowledge of the Holy this way. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Knowledge of God leads to right knowledge and wisdom of everything else. And if I can, with fear and trembling, add to A.W. Tozer, which is a very bad idea, what comes into your mind when you think about yourself, 
should be Christ. If you are a Christian, one of the things that categorizes us as followers of Jesus is that when I begin to think about myself, the way I pattern my self-concept is grounded in Christ. That's how the doctrine of union with Christ works. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 6. This ought to make sense to us. After all, God not only created us, but how did he create us? In his what? Image. God created us in his image. We were made to reflect God. So, trying to understand ourselves by looking at ourselves is by trying to understand the world while looking at a mirror and looking at the composition and the makeup of a mirror and think that's telling us the truth about whatever it reflects. Self-knowledge that begins and ends with me is tainted by sin. Self-understanding that begins in and within me is always incomplete. Why? Because you're supposed to reflect someone else. You're supposed to bear the likeness of another. We are bearers of someone else's image, someone greater, God himself. So knowing ourselves begins with knowing God, and specifically what Paul says, knowing Christ, knowing God in Christ, the Son of the living God. So in Romans 6, 5 through 11, Paul is teaching us about us by teaching us about Christ. Did you follow that? That Paul is going to teach us about us by teaching us about Christ. This is why it's counterintuitive. If you want to know who you are, look at Christ, Paul is saying. And now, that's really easy to say. It's real hard to do. Because literally, I'm swimming in a world. You are swimming in a world that says, just look in yourself. Look within yourself and whatever is revealed, that, that pretty snowflake of an individual, unique personality, that's who you are. The Bible says the exact opposite. Don't look at yourself if you want to know yourself. Look at Christ. We are those who have been united with Christ. We are those united with Christ through his death, Paul says, and through his resurrection. In Christ, who you are, your identity, your personhood, is a result of the death and resurrection of Christ. So Paul is teaching us about us by teaching us about Christ. And he explains that if you want to know who you are, you need to know that you are in Christ. In Christ, we are dead to sin, and in Christ, we are alive to God. So here's the question for us today. Is that what you think about when you think about yourself? What comes to mind? I mean, doing this work this week, it's scary to think about what comes to my mind when I think about myself. I think about a lot of things before I think about Christ, about my identity, about who I am. What comes to mind when you think about you? Paul is going to tell us two things that should come to mind. Two things when we think about ourselves that should come to mind. We are dead to sin and we are alive to God. We are dead to sin and we are alive to God. That's who we are. Remember, Paul is talking about self-knowledge. And we know this because look what he repeats in verse 6. And then again in verse 9, he says, we know. So this language, he's talking about what we know, what knowledge we have. It's common language for Paul. Look at verse 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Can I get an amen? That's a great verse. Paul compliments this language then of union with Christ with this, this language of the old and the new self. The old self is not united with Christ. The new self is united with Christ. Perhaps if you've heard this language before, it was likely in Ephesians chapter 4 when Paul says to put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What he is saying is that there is a former way of living which sees the self 
and lives without the reality of being united with Christ. There is a new way of living also, which sees the self and lives bound to the reality of union with Christ. In other words, when you are not in Christ, the first thing that comes to your mind is yourself when you think about yourself. But in Christ, the first, last, and the preeminent thought we are supposed to have as Christians is something about the nature and beauty and power of Jesus himself. Now back to our original curiosity. Is Paul saying there is this new self that is simply hidden by immaturity, right? And this underdeveloped self, you know, the ones that your parents talked about, I see so much potential in you. Is that what Paul is talking about? You're better than this? That there's some new self in there that is buried under all of that? Or is he saying that you bear the capacity to make yourself this new person, which we hear a lot? You can do better. You can climb out of that, whether it's in your vocation or in your health or in your relationships. No, Paul is neither saying that your new self is merely created through renewed righteous effort, right? This is important for us, especially if you played sports your whole life. Nor is the new self simply revealed through revelation or Bob Marley music or the herb, whatever he's talking about. See, according to the Bible, you do not make who you are. According to the Bible, you do not make who you are, nor do you just need help seeing a true and better self that is lying ready to wake up underneath bad mistakes or shame or lies. What does the text say? Look again at verse 6 and 7. The old self was crucified. Now you might think, oh, it'd be so nice if I could just make myself because then I'd have all this control. You don't want that control. That's not a good idea. Because of our control, we got ourselves into the old self problem, right? What we need is something else. And so when we look, it's really good news. It says the old self was crucified, that the body of sin was brought to nothing. This took place so that the chains would be broken and you'd be set free. In short, you don't make yourself, nor does God merely just give you new vision for who you already are. God saves you. Jesus saves you by dying for you. He restores you by redeeming you. And then he unites you with himself. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. This is why the first thing we ought to think about when we think about ourselves is Christ. The old self is put to death in the cross. And keep in mind, this putting to death, the old self, is a once and forever kind of act Paul writes about, that Jesus died once. Therefore, by grace, through faith, your old self was put to death forever on the cross. This is why it's better, because if it's about your effort, then as soon as your effort wanes, the old self wins out again. But if it's about Christ putting something to death, it cannot come back from that. However, there's also this daily habit, isn't there? This daily reality that I must concede and remember and submit ourselves to that as we wage war against this real and powerful remnant of sin and death that pervades our world. So is the self created or is the self revealed? Well, in short, Paul says yes and no, but not by us. Jesus makes us new by putting to death the old self. Remember, Paul is teaching us about us by teaching us about Christ. And what is he saying about Christ? that he literally died, that he literally defeated Satan, sin, and death through the, his death on the cross. So when you think about yourself, what is the one thing that should always come to mind? Your old self has been crucified with Christ. When I think about Jason and who he is, I should begin with this great reality that my old self is crucified with Christ. When shame comes in, when guilt comes in, when anxiety comes in, even when, when celebration and pride start welling up in me, the first thing I ought to think, who am I? The old self has been crucified with Christ. 
That means Satan, sin, and death no longer have claim on you, my sister and my brother. In Christ, you have power to refuse sin, be freed from sin. You sin no longer, as Dr. Tim Keller puts it. The sign that sin no longer reigns and rules us is neither outward morality or sinlessness. It's not the presence of good and moral behavior. It's not the absence of bad and evil habits. Here's what he says. The evidence that sin no longer reigns in us is when we stop tolerating sin and start making progress with sin. Only a life in Christ has this kind of power over sin. My sister, my brother, that's who you are. You are one whose old self has been put to death on the cross. Therefore, you don't have to tolerate sin anymore. And you can actually grow and make progress. Thanks be to God. Is that what you think about? When we know God and what he has done, see what Paul is doing here, specifically that the old self has been put to death in Jesus, then and only then can we experience newness of life. The new self. Here's how Paul explains it. Look at verses 8 through 11 in Romans 6. He says, now, if we have died with Christ, he's connecting to everything he's just said, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So here's what he says. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That word consider is like calculate. It's like this mathematical equation. Render, account yourself, understand yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. So in Christ, we are secure. Hear that. I need to hear that today. I'm secure in him. What that means is that as a people, our present and our future is settled in him. Paul is teaching us about us by teaching us about Christ. And what is he saying here about Christ? That Jesus literally rose from the dead. That Jesus is literally alive right now. That he is literally ruling and reigning over all this, unencumbered by death. Unencumbered by death. Think about that. Jesus was not raised to the, to the old life again when, when he rose from the dead. This is really important. You know when he rose Lazarus from the dead? You know Lazarus was going to die again? Lazarus was going to die again. But Jesus has risen to this new life where death no longer has claim on him. He doesn't rise from the dead to the old life. He rises to this new life. See, Jesus was raised to a new life, and this new life, what, what Paul is saying, is yours. It's yours. Scholar N.T. Wright explains what is true of the Messiah ever since the glory of Easter day is that he is alive again with a death, with a life, rather, that death cannot touch. He hasn't come back into the same life. He has gone on through death and out the other side into a new bodily life beyond the reach of death. Jesus is alive, no longer even threatened by death because he's defeated death. This is a really hard thing to fathom because death overshadows everything that we do. Imagine an existence where death has no threat on you where death no longer has a story to tell. It has no rebuttal. It has no response. Where light shows up, darkness has fleed, John 1 teaches us. That is the kind of life now that believers are afforded in Christ by grace through faith is a righteousness beyond the reach of Satan. 
a joy beyond the reach of sorrow, a peace beyond the reach of suffering and chaos, a life beyond the reach of death. If you are in Christ, you now have an existence where death has no claim on you. Death does not threaten what Christ has purchased and sealed with you. See, Paul is teaching us about us by teaching us about Christ. We're united with him. We we are not what we make ourselves to be. We are not who we say we are, and that's really good news. We are not simply a deeply hidden self to be revealed. We are those who died with Christ. We are those who have been raised with Christ. And that means we are those who live now and forever with Christ. And that's the second thing that should come to mind when you think about yourself, my sister and my brother, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Not only am I dead to sin, but in Christ, I'm alive to God. I'm alive to God. Death no longer has claim on me, and life and righteousness is possible. Humility and confession now become freeing and joy-inducing. One writer has put it this way, I think in a helpful summary of what we've considered today. He says, against the prevailing mindset of our day that you are what you make yourself, union with Christ tells you that you can discover your real self only in reflection, or relation rather, to the one who made you. You are not, and you cannot be self-made. Union with Christ tells you that you can only understand who you are in communion with God and others, and that is wildly counter-cultural claim. And so, as a church family, knowing who we are, we stand against a tide. We stand against a prevailing cultural deception that finding self is not in yourself. That finding our lives comes after we have lost our lives on the cross. Paul has taught us about ourselves by teaching us about Christ. Now, may we be a people who see ourselves and know ourselves and each other according to what we know about Christ. And so when someone comes to us in sorrow, what do we do? We point them to Christ. When someone comes to us in anger, a brother and sister, what do we do? We point them to Christ. When someone is trapped in sin, what do we do? We point them to Christ, not to distract them from the issue, but so that they be grounded in who they are, no matter what their experience is. When you think about yourself, think about Christ. He died defeating sin and death. He is alive, reigning over eternal life and righteousness. And in him, you'll find yourself. You have died to sin, and you are alive to God. Let's pray and worship him for it. Heavenly Father, what a great truth, what a great reminder, and what good news that I am not what I make myself, that I am not what I choose to be, that I am known and understood in relationship in my union with your Son. So humble us, correct us, comfort us as your church. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.